You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. Well, I definitely receive this as an honor and a privilege to come and preach to you this morning and to, to be with you. And I have been at Resound for about a month now, so that means I have no clue absolutely what I'm doing. I just do what they tell me to do. So uh, one of my first uh, or things was to get in contact with Richard and figure out a good weekend to come preach. And so this was it. And I, I can't tell you how excited I am. Uh, to be here. And so working with Resound is fun, but it's also a challenging work. One of the things we're doing is helping uh, with revitalization of churches. Uh, Most of our churches in Missouri are plateaued or declining. And so God is doing a movement for his glory to resound uh, within the state of Missouri. And I'm thankful to be a part of that ministry there. But this morning, just wanted to come and preach to you. And just as uh, you might be wondering, well, where did I come from before I was a on the Resound Network? Well, I was actually a campus pastor for Baptist Home and Healthcare Ministries. And some of you may be familiar with Baptist Homes and Healthcare Ministries. But I was a campus pastor there. And while I was a campus pastor, I learned something about our residents, which were all senior adults. Don't confuse it with the children's home. It was the senior adults aspect of it. And one of the things I learned early on is with the Baptist homes is if you want the senior adults to come to an activity, all you have to do is add party behind it. Like you could say, okay, we're going to have bingo at two o'clock and nobody would show up. But if you said we're going to have a bingo party at two o'clock, everybody showed up. If I said, we're going to have jewelry making at one o'clock, nobody would show up. But if I said, we're going to have a jewelry making party, oh, then everybody showed up. And usually when you say party, food is somewhat involved in those senior adult things. But I learned that if you just add the word party behind things, people show up and they're excited. So this morning, what I want to do in this sermon, I want to have a party this morning. All right. There's not going to be any food here, but let's have a party this morning, because let me share with you, First Baptist Union, you have reason to celebrate and party. You're seeing some things that a lot of churches in our state are not seeing. Let me just share with some things that's happening in your church. You partnered with Resound with a 95% yes vote. That vote meant this to the Resound Network. That's what that means. This is what that means. We're not sure what God is going to do or how God's going to do it, but we're expecting God is going to do something in our church. Does that echo your sentiment? We're not sure how God's going to do it. We're not sure what God's going to do. But we expect that God is going to do something within our congregation. You have finished creating a new mission, vision, strategy, and core value statement for the church. Those are huge things. Why is that huge? Because you started a next step class for new members. Now your new members know what your core values are, what you're doing, what your purpose is, what your goals are. And so they're not somewhat confused by what's happening. You begin a series of outreach opportunities, which have included hosting a community movie night, giving you opportunity to build relationships and let the community know that you're not just an isolated group inside of this building, but you want to reach out the walls. You've hosted a free swim day at the local pool, which included a taco party. Hey, I bet people showed up, didn't they? You said taco party, they were there. 
You've hosted regular fifth quarter celebrations after home football games. This provided a safe environment for your students, let the students. And when you let students know that you care about students, you're also letting their parents know that we care about your students and we have a common goal. And you're going to be able to reach your community for those things, giving it an opportunity to pour into them spiritually through your devotions. Now, I've, got to, I've not got to meet your pastor and his wife very much, but I can tell you this. They love you as a church and they love Christ and they love the bride of Christ. And that for you should be thankful and you should be celebrating and having a party for what God is doing in your life. So this morning, with those thoughts in mind, I, I just want to go to the scriptures and find a man that has a party plan. How are we going to party for the next couple of years? All right. At First Baptist Ewing to reach the communities that we're surrounded by. And the person I want to look at that has the party plan for us is Matthew, the disciple Matthew. Before we really look into that, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we come to you this morning and God, I do celebrate what you're doing here in this church, in this community. And Father, just already the sense is that the people here are not satisfied with what you're doing. They want to see more of your glory. They want to see more of you becoming known and your name being resounded throughout the area. God, I pray today as we look at Matthew, the man with a party plan, I pray, God, that we would have an understanding of how we could be more effective for you, Lord. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So reading this morning of the call of Matthew from Matthew chapter nine, verse nine, let us read there. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office and he said to him, follow me. So he rose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him. Disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, before we look at Matthew's party plan, let's just talk about Matthew for just a moment. And let's start with his occupation. The first thing to know about Matthew is his occupation. And when you begin to think about Matthew's occupation, he is a tax collector. You see it there in verse 9 through 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. The reason why he was sitting at the tax office was because he was a tax collector. We all know and understand that tax collectors were hated in Jesus's day, right? You've known that, you studied that a little bit. And if you begin to think about why were tax collectors hated in Jesus's day, remember in those days that Rome was the world power. So over the whole world, you had Rome. They were the world power and they were the ones that were taxing the people, including the Jewish people. Now, how many of you like paying your taxes to your own country? You either didn't hear the question or you don't like paying taxes to your own country. Now, imagine this. Imagine paying taxes to another country. How many of you want to pay taxes to another country? That's what the Jewish people were doing. So when Matthew's a tax collector, they are paying taxes to another country. So obviously the Jewish people do not like paying taxes to Rome. Now get this. Matthew was a Jew who was collecting tax money from the Jews for Rome. How many people think that you'd be friends with the guy that was collect, collecting taxes for another country? Probably not going to be your best friend, right? Right. 
Probably not going to be uh, one of those guys that are winning awards for being the most popular. So not only does Matthew have the hated position of being a tax collector, he's also considered a traitor by his fellow Jews. People are looking at him like, this guy's a traitor. He collects money for the, the Roman government. We don't want anything to do with him. In fact, if you want to know just a little bit more about how much the Jewish people didn't like tax collectors, this, is, was, this was in their laws. Let me read a little bit from the Talmud, which is the law of the Jews. The Jews taught that it was righteous, it was righteous to lie and deceive a tax collector because that's what a professional extortion deserved. It was okay to defraud them and lie to them because they were extortioners. They were trying to take. To gain even more understanding of how much Matthew was disliked by his fellow Jews, you need to understand what kind of tax collector he was. There were different kinds of tax collectors. In those days, one of the tax collectors, you're not going to be quizzed on this later, but it's kind of neat to understand this and understand why Matthew may have been hated even more than most tax collectors. There was a group of tax collectors called the Gabi tax collectors. Now, Gabi tax collectors, they worked directly for the Roman government. And what they did is they set the taxes on the regular things that everybody paid taxes to, like your property tax. If you owned animals, you paid a tax, you paid a road tax, you paid different kinds of taxes. And those were set by the Roman government. And the Gabi would just come by and say, hey, this is your yearly tax for owning your house, for owning a car, for owning these things. Pretty much common, okay? And those taxes were set by the Roman government. People weren't surprised by those. But then you had a second group of tax collectors. So those are the Gabi. They kind of work for the government. You might think of it like that. And then you had these other tax collectors called the Mokes. And there were the Great Mokes and the Little Mokes, all right? You didn't know you were going to get a tax lesson this morning. And this is going somewhere. So the great mokes and the little mokes. Now, the great mokes, what they did is they would get little mokes under them. So a great moke would have little mokes that were under them. And the great mokes would send the little mokes out and say, you go do the work and bring me back the money because I have a relationship with the Roman government. One of the great mokes in the scripture is Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus was a wee little man and wee little man was he? Well, Zacchaeus was a great moke. How do we know that? Because in Luke 19, 2, now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Uh, if you were reading that and you were to read that he was a great moke, you wouldn't have any idea what that meant, right? So our translation changes that. But we understand Zacchaeus was one of these great mokes who oversaw all these little mokes. And what these little mokes did, and Matthew would have been a little moke, and what these little mokes would do is they would set up these booths all over the Jewish community. And as they set up these booths, they would begin to collect taxes on whatever they wanted to collect taxes on. So they could set up a booth in the middle of the road and say, okay, I'm going to tax you for whatever I want to tax you, and you have to pay that tax today. They would tax people for crossing bridges. They would tax people for having letters. They would tax people for um, using roads, axles on transport. And here's the worst part of it. They got to set their own taxes. So whatever they wanted to set the tax for that day, they would set that tax. And so they would sit out there and they would just begin to tax people. So let's just say, for example, if it was modern day today and I was a little moke and I came in here and I wanted to set a tax. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to set a tax on everybody in here that's wearing a jacket. $15 tax. 
So if you're wearing a jacket today, you're going to have to pay me $15 because I'm a little moke and I'm by the government. And here's the thing. I was responsible to give some of that money to the great moke, but anything extra I got, I got to keep for myself. So I'd walk around, I would just look for reasons to tax people. Yes, Richard, that counts, your sweater counts as a coat. I would tax it $15. The vest back there, yes, I would tax it $15. And so I would just begin to look at things I wanted to tax. Women, if you have a hair thing in your hair, if it's a bow or a bandana, I'm going to tax you $10. Yes, young lady, you'd have to come over $10. Because that's what I would tax today. Because that's what I wanted. It was going to make me money. And so I could take that and I could use it however I wanted to. So imagine that you're like going down the street one day and you see Matthew and he has this little booth set up and he's taxing people for whatever he wants to tax. And you know this is how the system works. What are you going to think of him the next time you see him? What are you going to think of him in the marketplace? How are you going to deal with him and interact with him as he's doing these things? You're not going to have a very good feeling about him when you run into him. You're going to be angry. So you're beginning to get the picture of Matthew in your mind. Okay, he, he is a little moke by occupation. All right, but he's a man with a party plan, so we're going to continue to look at him. But before we look at his party plan, I want you to look at the religious background of Matthew. What is the religious background of Matthew? We know he's a tax collector, but how were tax collectors thought of in those days in the religious community? We know they weren't liked in the social community. They were outcasts. You could even lie to them. So what about the religious community? You remember when Jesus told a parable? Jesus told a parable about tax collectors in Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Listen to his parable and think about how the tax collector is portrayed in Luke 18, 9. Also, he spoke this parable of some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, here's what is interesting. When Jesus told that parable, nobody would have said, Jesus, why is the tax collector all by himself? Why is he standing afar? Because tax collectors weren't allowed to be in the same place. As the Jews notice when Jesus says that the tax collector in this parable, he was standing far off. That would not have shocked anyone because it was no secret that tax tax collectors were not allowed to worship as close as the Jews. Even in the worship, the tax tax collectors were not permitted past the court of the Gentiles. So not only was he an outcast in society, he didn't even have the privilege of entering the same place of worship. As the other Jews. But don't make that. Don't let the assumption. That just because Matthew. Was a tax collector. Meant he didn't have a religious background. In fact if you kind of study Matthew. And you begin to think about him even deeper. You begin to realize. That he had some deeper spiritual roots. Than maybe even the religious leaders of those days. Because as you look at Matthew's life for just a few moments, if you look in the other Gospels, what is Matthew's name referred to? He has Matthew and he's also 
Levi. All right. So if you look at Matthew in the other Gospels, you begin to realize that his name is also Levi. And somewhere there's a name change there. Now, if you named your son Levi in those days. What significance does that have? Who comes from the tribe of Levi? In the Old Testament, what was the Levites? They were the the priest of the people. So basically, Matthew's parents must have had a really strong religious background because they basically named their son priest. Right. And it may be because he had been a traitor to his Jewish roots that he became called Matthew. And when you think about a man who was sitting at the tax booth being rejected by others, it may have created a hunger with inside of Matthew because consider a man who not only was just a tax collector, but it seems like there was a spiritual hunger within Matthew. There was something in Matthew that caused him to hunger and he spent much time reading the Old Testament and studying the Old Testament. You say, well, how do you get that? Why do you think that Matthew was a student of the Old Testament? Think about the gospel that he writes. Did you know that in the gospel of Matthew, Matthew quotes the Old Testament 99 times. He quotes the uh, he, he quotes uh, the book of Psalms. He, bo- he quotes the law and he quotes the prophets. Now, when you think about the fact that he quotes Old Testament 99 times, that means if you were to take Matt, I'm sorry, if you were to take Mark, Luke and John and see how many times Mark, Luke and John quote the Old Testament. It doesn't match up to Matthew's 99 combined. If you added all of Mark, Luke and John's quotations of the Old Testament, you don't come up with 99. But Matthew, our text collector, who is supposed to be rich, uh, uh, spiritually ostracized or set out. Here's a man that has quoted it 99 times. He knew his Old Testament. He knew what was going on. The third evidence about Matthew and his religious Background that he may have had a more spiritual life about him than what we recognize. Just think about his call for a moment. Matthew 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office and he said to him, Follow me. So he rose and followed him. Jesus looks at Matthew and says, Matthew, follow me. He gets up and he begins to follow him. Could it be that Matthew, who is sitting at the booth at that time and sees Jesus walking by and Jesus calls him to follow? Could it be that the reason why Matthew doesn't hesitate to get up is because he's already kind of understanding who Jesus is? Because as a guy who is setting up a booth along the roads, he's hearing people talk about this man from Galilee. This man from Galilee who is teaching all these things. But not only is he teaching, this man is causing the blind to see. Not only is this man causing the blind to see, he's helping people that were paralyzed get up and walk. The lame are walking. So Matthew is hearing about this person named Jesus all around him. And as he's listening about this man named Jesus and he's taking his Old Testament that we said that he quoted 99 times, he's beginning to read the Old Testament saying, wait a minute. There's a guy that's coming that's going to be able to do miraculous things. He's going to break the captives free. He's going to cause the blind to see. He's going to cause the leap, uh, the lame to leap and jump. 
And this guy that people are talking about when they come by the tax booth sounds a whole lot like the guy I'm reading about in the Old Testament. So when Jesus comes by and says, follow me, Matthew gets up and follows him. And could it be the reason why he follows him so simply is because he's already thought in his mind, this man looks a whole lot like the Messiah. This man looks a whole lot like the Savior. When he invites me to follow him, I'm going. There's not going to be a hesitation. There's not going to be question. There's not going to be dispute in my mind. I am going to follow him wherever he leads me. So as you look at Matthew, the tax collector, we look at his spiritual background. Now let's look at his party plan. What is Matthew's party plan? Go back and look at it. It's called to be a disciple again from Jesus. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he rose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, let me just share with you. Matthew shows some humility in his recount of the story. He's just like, oh, yeah, I was sitting at a booth and Jesus walked by and I followed him. And then we went to my house and had some dinner and some people showed up called tax collectors. It was something like that. But look at what Luke records for us. Because Luke gives us some really cool insight to Matthew's humility. Look at what Luke says in Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. Levi, remember, is Matthew. A tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he left and arose and followed him. Then Levi gave him a feast. No, 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 no. Not a feast. He gave him what? A great feast. A huge party. So he left and arose and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with him. Do you begin to see the picture a little bit differently in, in Luke's gospel? Matthew's kind of like, yeah, we kind of went over and had a little shindig type thing at my place. Luke's like, no, 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 no. He didn't just have a little shindig, folks. This man had a party. He had a great feast. He brought it all out. They brought out the fatted calf. They had the best drinks. Matthew, like, and, and not only just that it was a great feast, but it was at Matthew's house, which tells us Matthew had what? A big house because there's a great amount of people that are there. And so Matthew brings everybody to his house, brings all his resources out, and they begin to have a party. And Matthew must have been a pretty popular guy because when he's like, hey, guys, come to my house. We're going to have a party. I'm going to have a feast. We're going to have a big house. And there's a man named Jesus that's going to be there. And I want you to be a part of this. I want you to know what's going on. So come be there with me. So he uses those relationships to be at the party. And then he begins to use all his resources. His house, his food, his drinks. And he's saying, we're going to have a party. We're going to have a celebration. We're going to do awesome things with the Lord right there. So get this this morning. Here is Matthew's big party plan. Catch Matthew's big party plan. Matthew is going to use his present relationships with his resources 
to introduce people to the risen Lord. He uses his relationships and his resources to introduce people to the risen Lord. That's the party plan. We use the relationships that you and I have and are building with people. And we use our resources, whatever those resources are. For you, it's a beautiful sanctuary. It's a location next to a school. There's a lot of things that you have going. So you use your relationships and your resources to introduce people to the risen Lord, the risen Savior. And don't forget, why is it so important that we're inviting people to know the risen Lord? Because he's the only one that can allow us to fulfill our purpose in life, fulfill our uh, whole needs in our life. Because we do remember the gospel, right? The gospel that says that you and I were created to have a relationship, a fellowship with God. But sin separated us from that relationship and that fellowship with him. And we could be eternally separated from God. But God did something. He sent his son Jesus to die on a cross, be buried, raised three days later. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus is the only one that can allow us to have that relationship with the God who created us. And that's why we want to use our relationships and our resources to share with people who the risen Savior is so that they can have an understanding of what they were created for. And that is a relationship with the God who created them and designed them. So we go through our lives with the party plan of using our relationships and our resources to get people to know who the risen Lord is. Now, think about this. I believe it was just this last January that your church set some goals. What were some of those goals? One of the goals was this hospitality and church readiness. Hospitality and church readiness. This will include things like developing a welcome center for the church and creating hospitality team to greet and serve visitors. What is that? That's using your resources to build relationships so that people will come to know the risen Christ. You also have an outward goal focused on continued evangelistic outreach opportunities. This will include creating opportunities for the church to connect with the community through the movie nights, the fifth quarters, football games. Again, what is that? Relationships and resources to introduce your communities to the risen Lord Jesus Christ. What a goal. What a party opportunity that you have. You've already set the vision. You've already set the goal. You know where you're headed and what you're going to do. So follow Matthew's party plan here this morning. And follow it for First Baptist Ewing. To be a people that uses your resources and your relationships. To introduce people. To the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, my hope this morning is this, is that you have come to a place where you understand the risen Lord and why you're here this morning. It may be that you're here this morning because of a relationship and somebody has invited you here to be a part of the resources that First Baptist Union has. And the opportunity is for you to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. I know that Richard would love to talk with you about that. So I'd invite you to talk to him in the days ahead about having that relationship with him. For others this morning, pray as God will continue to use 
your resources and your relationships to be the light to a community so people will come to know the risen Lord, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. Lord, I thank you for First Baptist Union, and I thank you, God, that in the past they've been using their resources and their relationships to introduce you to the community around them. God, I pray that you would continue to give them fruit in these times, Lord. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.